Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner. The best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected using one easy-to-use app. Get business, business phone service, cloud service, computing, connections, EMAS. Offer a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12-Pack to get started. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Baderink College Football Statistical Model. This is a sharp college football podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're rolling through the offseason. We're doing our Washington postmortem uh, today, and if this is your first time listening to the show, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio, and uh, go back into the archives. We're going through our postmortems of every Pac-12 team, uh, going back to Colorado, which was a little bit depressing, to Washington State last week, which was a little bit more optimistic, and we're going into Washington today. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Bowron, and Rob... Not you know, not too much news this uh, this week to go through, but you know, a lot of football to talk. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> it's my son's birthday, so I've been running around a little bit today. Oh, nice. Um, but like you reminded me as we're coming into this of like, oh yeah, what happened today at ASU? And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good. Um, we we should start there. The the Mike Tyson's punch out um continues, right? They they made their way through the tight ends coach. They got Glass Joe and Von Kaiser. Now they're making their way up to Zach Hill, the offensive coordinator. I, I had to go back and look at like the Mike Tyson, you know, the, the hierarchy of boxers. I, I feel like we're at uh, around the Great Tiger. I think we passed King Hippo a little earlier, so uh, we haven't quite yeah. gotten um the other offensive court the other coordinator that probably is the most likely to have been fired if I had money uh played Based on who was going to go first. And of course, the head right. nacho remains. But, and you know, our friend Ralph Amston follows ASU closer than I think anybody would follow. He covers ASU with the fury of a million suns. And, you know, it's, at first I'm like, oh no, because I went dark on Twitter for the Arizona UCLA game, which, uh, spoiler alert, was really disappointing. Um, if you're an Arizona fan, if you're a UCLA fan, it went splendid. <laughs> um, so I, I missed this when it first came out. And so I'm looking at my timeline backwards, right? So it's like, um, it, it's kind of the result first, and then I'm going down to the reactions before the result comes out. And I thought that when I first like started seeing the hints of it, I thought Herm was out. And then I'm like, oh, it's just Zach Hill, like whatever, you know? <laughs> so like they, right. they still haven't made their way throughout the whole program. But I mean, clearly th- there's more, there's more on the way. I think like a departure of an offensive coordinator who, you know, like, Look, ASU's offense wasn't 
splendid last year, but also I think part of that was on the quarterback. And, um, you know, when, when you have a, a coordinator jump ship this late, I do think that it doesn't bode well for what's looming. Dave, uh, the, you know, the, the headline of course was Zach Hill. Um, but Adam Brenneman, Prentice Gill and Chris Hawkins were all sent letters. And, and some of these guys, have been, I mean, these guys have been on administrative leave. Um, so the expectation was of course that they would be gone. Um, but they were recently sent out letters by the university saying that they could, uh, resign or be fired. <laughs> and, oh. Um, yeah. And so, uh, Brenneman, the tight ends coach, coach, coach chose to resign. Um, Gill and Hawkins were, uh, were fired by ASU. Um, and so the Zach Hill, uh, we assume was given the same choice of, you know, be fired or resign. Um, and so he chose to resign. The expectation of course is, I mean, all of these, you know, guys could be facing show cause from the NCAA. Um, but there's also the potential, I mean, and, and the sort of wild thing with, you know, Gill and Hawkins is the potential that they could sue ASU, um, which is absolutely not what you, I mean, not that, not that I think that, I don't think that there's a lot that's not come out. I think that, you know, because of the dossier that was sent in as well as, you know, the, the fact that the NCAA, um, you know, is able to hold out, you know, and, and hold, you know, hold recruits, you know, potentially suspending them if they don't cooperate. Um, so I think they've gotten really good cooperation from folks on this. Um, but I am, um, you know, if you're ASU, of course, you don't want to be taken into court on this or anything, but as you said, I mean, it's surprising, you know, that it was Hill. I think almost everyone, thought it was going to be Antonio Pierce first <laughs> um, because he's, he's named, you know, I, I don't recall Hill being named much in the dossier, but they certainly seem to have had something enough on him that he had to be forced out. Now um, ASU doesn't seem to be what's interesting is, is once they seem to get enough evidence, they're not waiting around. It is interesting. Of course, that Pierce's name, you felt like was sort of all over the dossier. Um, you know, they, you, you felt like they probably haven't, like at this point, from what is rumored and what Doug Haler has reported, what, you know, some of the Sun Devil sites have also reported, um, you know, they cert you certainly, there are a lot of whispers about what they might have on Herm Edwards himself. Um, but they haven't made a move, right, on, on either Pierce or Edwards. Um, a lot of people feel that of, is, of course, because the AD used to be, and as a, you know, yeah. <laughs> Herm Edwards agent. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like ASU has been, you know, coming into this, um, you know, they, they've been getting a little hot, at least on the in the transfer portal, you know, feeling a little bit better about the way things are going. Um, but they're left with now a situation where, you know, the, the expectation I think around the program is that sometime, and we talked about this, uh, I think on the last episode, um, you know, the expectations are, you know, really to maybe towards the end of summer, um, that they're going to get the, the notice of allegations from the NCAA. Um, and you just wonder, and, and, and you and I, you and I sat through this, you know, and, and covered this pretty extensively. We were doing a lot more basketball coverage back then on, the Arizona situation with the NCAA, right. And how Arizona sort of chose to, to stand by Sean Miller until they didn't like the results on the basketball court. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I think if you're ASU, I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to basically punt 
on Edwards if you can this you know this hiring cycle because it's been such a wild hiring cycle <laughs> <laughs> let's get Todd um, Graham back at ASU man let's go oh, let's go God. back back to basics let's go back to fundamentals <laughs> man there are a smattering of ASU fans around, uh, you know, the Twitter machine that basically that were saying like, "Bring back Todd Graham." I was like, "Do you guys not notice what happened?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I mean, I mean, we talked about this. Really has to be hampering their recruiting. Um, you know, like there, there's undoubtedly other programs. If you're competing against ASU, um, are, are negatively recruiting against ASU, but there's still going to be, I mean, you know, there, there's still going to be, and people should expect like fairly significant sanctions for what ASU did. Um, and you know, I, I would expect nearly everyone on the staff that participated gets a show cause. Um, and you, it'll be interesting to see if any of these guys, because the rumor is that Zach Hill, because he was in the running for that Auburn offensive coordinator job. Of course, Auburn's Ooh, the guy that they yeah, hired for that job just left today. But um, the rumor was that uh, the uh, that the Auburn administration, in doing the vetting on Hill and where he was with the ASU investigation, nixed the hire. Um, that he was supposed to be the guy that and Harson wanted him for Auburn. Um, but the Auburn athletic department in the vetting basically said, we can't hire him given what we now know it, it happened at ASU. Oh. It'll be interesting to see if any of these guys get jobs again in the near future. That is bizarre. I uh, not bizarre, but I mean, that is more wild is, is a better way of, of saying that. But I mean, we'll, we'll keep an eye. This program is screwed. I think for, I mean, look, I could be wrong, but if, if I were to put my money on is ASU screwed or not screwed, I would definitely put it on the former. <laughs> Like, I just think, you know, uh, now hopefully, you know, the, hopefully it's not like damaging for years and years, but I do think that there are, um, there are some punishments that will be coming and we'll keep an eye on those as we roll through, uh, anything else to, to mention here, Rob? I don't I mean, other than, I mean, that's like not small news, right? Like one, oh, yeah. <laughs> one, one, one program, you know, like it still looks to, you know, like, uh, you know, be a tough out next year is suddenly down their offensive coordinator. Now I will say from like a pure X's and O's standpoint, I think he'll really develop the running game at ASU, but the passing game and, and, and Daniel's fitting into his passing game was really a struggle. Mm. Um, you know, like, uh, there's a lot more downfield passing in Hills, uh, in Hills playbook and that's not Daniel's forte. Um, so, but the, you know, the, it'll be interesting to see if you know who they're able to bring in, um, you know, and who's, you know, do they fit more maybe with what Daniels does well? Uh, too that would uh, that would help on the field for next year for sure um still no caleb williams news ucla still doesn't have a defensive coordinator (laughs) i'm wondering like i'm wondering if part of that is because uh, well yeah and speaking of that like you have mario cristobal in in miami who's just looking around looking for friends Uh, but like there what there is one thing with the coordinators i'm wondering if part of that is they're waiting for signing day to bring in a coordinator yeah. that is elsewhere. So that is, that's the one, right? Like if right. you're trying to be positive, that's, that's the one area to be positive, I guess. Right. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, it could be somebody that's basically, you know, as part of a, you know, as part of their departure from their prior job um, is waiting, you know, is agreed to wait to announce till after signing day um, because they may still be in the mix for a big recruit before they end up joining over. Yeah. The, the old sketch ball. 
like deal. I mean, and with with Kelly too, and and perhaps, um, you know, I mean, maybe not with Edwards, but with Kelly too. I mean, his NFL experience. It could be that he's, you know, talking to people that are are waiting to see if they can land a job on an NFL staff. Yeah, it's still a bummer, right? You run into signing day without a defensive coordinator. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, well, so we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, I'm keep an eye on Lance Anderson. Just curious to see if he stays. It, it seems like he is. Shaw doesn't strike me as somebody that would sign a class and then, you know, to his credit, right? Like it, we, we talk a lot about Shaw and a lot of it's negative, but he does strike me as somebody that wouldn't, you know, pull the rug out from, you know, even though you can transfer anyway, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be somebody that pulls that rug out from the recruits. And um, so it seems like they are set and ready to go for a 2022 Rup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, Stanford seems to, be, I mean, for better or much more likely worse. I mean, David Shaw is, um, is, is going full speed ahead you know, icebergs be damned. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a little in awe of it. And I guess it, I guess it really comes down to that. Like he has so much success at Stanford and for the most part, a bunch of people don't even care on that campus what happens. Right. I think for the people that matter around that athletic department, you know, and, and some of the big donors, I think David Shaw still has a lot of credibility. Um, and I, I don't think that anyone has sort of come in, you know, and, and able to really, you know, put the money on the table and say like, all right, like if you want to keep getting my donations, like you need to make a change. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Uh, we have, so there's two other things we should cover here. I got some transfer news and then uh, Rob on your Twitter feed, you had, and I love how you're doing this. You're tweeting out beta ranks numbers, best and you're basically doing superlatives for each conference, best and worst for run defense, offense, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that'd be fun to go through that. Um, but while we do that, let me, t- you know, tick through a couple of transfer news uh, items here. Uh, the first is like, you know, most of these are pretty small. Um, and, and when I eat small, like small bodied people, like Champ Fleming's, uh, our favorite, you know, Hithloday's uh, favorite wide receiver in the transfer portal from Oregon state, uh, Tavian Cunningham, which I think is interesting for Arizona. Um, he was one of the wide receivers on that team that saw significant time in the transfer portal. Um, we have some others uh, that we'll tick through here, but in terms of the wide receivers, we we've talked a little bit about this offline. So I'm just curious what you think about those guys jumping in. Uh, I mean, they're guys that I mean, like Cunningham, he's like, what, like the fifth or sixth Arizona wide receiver <laughs> into the portal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all, it all comes down to playing time. Um, you know, Jed fish and company basically, I think after spending this, you know, going through this season with these, you know, with the guys that they had on, on the roster, um, felt they really had to make a, a change, um, to what they had. Uh, and so it's, a uh, both in recruiting, um, as well as having, you know, May John Wright coming back off of, uh, you know, his, uh, he, he did transfer, he transferred twice in one year. And so he got the transfer penalty. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So he's been doing the scout team, but I think, you know, you know, they've, they've completely remade that room. And so like the only guys you're going to be, I think the only guys that you'll have coming back are, that, you know, you would have seen last season for Arizona or Jamari Joyner and Dorian Singer. And Singer is a guy that like had a 
before the coaching change at Texas had a Texas offer and Arizona ended up because he just fell through the cracks, ended up getting him as a walk on <laughs> and the staff really likes. Um, and he was pretty good and, and came on later in the season, but yeah, I mean, it's, you, you know, that, that, that sort of fits, I think for what you would expect with, um, you know, with, with, you know, all, I mean, literally, I mean, everyone has transferred out. That was a wide receiver at Arizona, just about, um, for Oregon state, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's maybe looking for more playing time. I mean, you, you certainly don't feel like with the Oregon, like I would say, you know, with Arizona and, and some of the other programs that have had some significant out transfers, you definitely feel like the coaches have had some pretty frank conversations, you know, um, about whether you can sit on the scholarship or not. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, I don't think that that's really been the case at Oregon state. Um, so I think he's really got to be out there, you know, looking for, looking for a better situation, looking for more playing time. Um, but I would also say like the way that Oregon state's offense has sort of been running with having, you know, chance Nolan back there at QB and, um, you know, they're, they really haven't taken advantage of much in the slot. Um, for the most part. And, and he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, real water bug wide receiver. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that was just kind of interesting because he's a fun player. They use him on special teams. So uh, I wish him the best. Like the fact that if you're five, I think yeah. he's five, four, like a hundred and yeah. like, and I'm not exaggerating 145 pounds. Like, if, I mean, what a boss to be able to actually play division one football um, and not be injured and, and actually be productive. So I, I really wish him the best uh, with uh, Tavian Cunningham. I think to your point, I think it's actually an upgrade in talent as the fact that somebody that saw significant time is transferring out because of the the new influx of talent that's coming in from the transfer portal and yeah. from recruiting is great um, for Arizona and Cunningham will land somewhere like he's a productive player as well. Um, just a couple like landing spots for players, Jackson Dart and uh, Michael Trigg, the four star tight end from USC, all uh, both ended up at Old Miss, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Jarek Broussard going to go to Michigan state following the old coach. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Those were really the big one. I'm trying to see if there's anybody else that, that transferred out elsewhere. There's a couple, but they were, you know, not players that um, had significant time. Um, Ramon Jefferson. So Colorado got one of the better running backs in FCS. I mean, I, I hope it works out. We'll see, <laughs> you know, like I don't quite, yeah. Um, that, that, I thought that was interesting. Like they're, they're definitely trying to bring in whoever they can. And, uh, Gary Smith, I thought this was an issue when a defensive tackle from Duke who started as a, I think he started as a freshman, uh, but at 21 tackles, he's like 320 pounds, uh, transfers over to UCLA, which I thought was interesting. Another Duke pipeline guy that ends up going across the country. So, uh, Rob, there's, you know, a, a little bit to talk about here in the portal. Anything jump out for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, Broussard ends up, I mean, like a lot of those Colorado players that have transferred out, they end up going to better programs, you know, which I, I think is, a, I mean, as we talk about what Colorado might be next year is a real problem. But I, I mean, I think UCLA is adding some, some potential depth. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, that Duke program really bottomed out last season. It's hard. Not that they're not that programs that don't bottom out, don't still have talented players, but um, it's hard to see anybody coming out of that program. that was so bad last year being a real difference maker. Um, but we'll see, you know, I, you, you know, USC still continues to be active too. I mean, they offered um, two pretty productive defensive tackles from North Texas um, that entered the transfer portal to brother, a set of brothers. 
<laughs> um, as USC really looks to, to revamp their defense. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll keep an eye here. The Caleb William watch still continues. I'm going to try actually get this up quickly because that, that is actually breaking news. That will probably happen in a couple days. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, let's let's take a break. I'm I'm interested in the superlatives because I think they're fascinating. And by the way, Rob's doing this for every conference. So if you're interested in um, seeing like who had the best defense in the Sun Belt or in the SEC, uh, he's been tweeting those things out. Let's get to the Pac-12 superlatives here, and then let's do our Washington preview, and let's do it right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. We're doing Pac-12 superlatives, and then we're going into Washington, doing a postmortem there. Rob, we can we can breeze through these. We can go slow. We can pick one or two if you want. Um, but I just found it fascinating. By the way, where can everybody find all your work on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Betarank FB uh, with some underscores in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed the uh, I've enjoyed the superlative. You know, doing the superlatives. Um, they're kind of a uh, they're kind of, it's it's kind of fun. You're, I mean, I'm really only covering the best and worst at what beta rank measures. Um, but beta rank's different too. I mean, I I know if you're if you're following me, you've also probably run into other measuring measuring systems, you know, around college football. Um, beta rank is both descriptive and predictive, um, in that you can learn quite a bit about what offenses or defenses do um, to give up points in it. Uh, and so like, yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of fun to go through and I mean, there's some obvious ones I think that'll jump out and you're like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then some other ones that, I mean, people might have some questions about, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not, it's like, and there are definitely teams too, that if you're not one of the best or the worst in the conference, you're not going to see your name showing up. Much, yeah, yeah, but, that's true. Well, that, um, that was why it's so funny because you had Stanford on the bottom on a number of these and I'm like, Oh, and it's a bummer because there, there were teams that were pretty bad. Like Arizona was pretty bad at a lot of things this, uh, this year and they didn't pop up yeah, as much absolutely. as I thought. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, the other part too, is that like, um, you know, and people should remember this beta rank does have a, it is, I, I intend to tell you not who was the best team over the entire year, I intend to tell you who would win a game if they played tomorrow. <laughs> and so there is a, um, there is a time decay in there. So Stanford really fell apart down the backstretch of the season. Arizona actually played well in some games down the stretch. I mean, they had, I think they had their worst, their very, very worst games early <laughs> and then, um, and then picked it up a little bit. So like Stanford ended up as the worst team in beta rank. 
um, in the conference. Utah, unsurprisingly, was the best. Um, but I do want to point out, like, this Utah team was really good. I mean, they were number, they finished at beta rank at number five overall. Wow. Um, you know, and, and, and then there's a gap. I mean, Oregon finished at 25. I mean, that is a sizable gap between, um, and, and we certainly saw that <laughs> yeah, on the, the field, field yeah. twice, <laughs> right? The sizable gap between where Utah was last season and, and, and where, you know, uh, everybody else in the conference was for the most part. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought, and you even do stuff like toughest schedule. Oregon had the toughest schedule. Cal had the easiest schedule, which is interesting. Yep. We just did our Cal postmortem, um, so you can check that out. But I didn't even really take that into account that they had the easiest schedule in the Pac-12. Yeah, and some of the stuff here too. Like I thought this was fascinating. The best explosive drives, right? So Utah, yeah. <laughs> number one, worst was USC. I mean, that that's I thought that was oh, no, bonkers. No, Oh yeah. On, on, oh, on, on defense. Uh, on oh, on defense. defense. Yeah. yeah. On defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean like you, USC, I mean, if you look under the hood, it went, went really wrong with this USC defense. It was, they gave up a ton of big plays and it was almost all in the past. I mean, the past defense completely fell apart um, this past season for the Trojans. Right. Uh, and that, that I think is really sort of interesting to see, um, you know, for them, like what really went wrong for them and what they have to correct and what Alex Grinch has to fix is they got to find a way to give up fewer big plays and they got to fix that pass defense first. Um, but like on the offensive side, I mean, I think it's interesting cause like the best of explosive drives was, was Oregon. Yeah. Uh, even as explosive as Utah was, that Joe Moorhead offense could really put up some big plays. It's crazy, you know, because you think of Anthony Brown as like a drive killer and could put it together. But yeah, I mean, there were times where, boom, I mean, that offense was just rolling. And then sometimes yep. where it was just like, oh my gosh, this is really frustrating. Uh, Washington was the least explosive in the country or in the Pac-12, which didn't surprise me too much. You know, like when we're looking at the offense, best play efficiency was Utah. That makes sense, right? Like yep. if you're just looking on yep. the field, they march the ball down the field. Sometimes they'd have a couple explosive plays to the tight end. But for the most part, like they just kept, you know, methodically coming at you. And it's always funny because sometimes yeah. you hear these like old narratives, right? And we always go back to when people kept talking about Stanford's rush defense when they were like basically throwing YOLO balls like the whole time. Um but it's right. funny when you see like when you what you see in your mind is also what the advanced metrics see, which is like a Utah team that just they're just going to get things done and they're just going to keep going. And now they have a little bit more of a an explosive vein to them now that Ludwig has kind of figured out what to do yeah. with that offense. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, anything else here that that jumped out? I, mean, I thought so. Arizona was a little interesting because on both offense and defense, what made them really struggle was drive efficiency. So that is the ability to put together long drives, which is a basically a bit of a measure of consistency. Yeah. And then giving up long drives like Arizona on defense could not find ways to get off the field. And I mean, those are things like Arizona was far better at putting together yards than they were points. Um, I mean, I, I think like if, you know, there, there is room for improvement, I think for Arizona coming into next year and just cleaning up that number on its own. Um, but like, you know, like there's some stuff that like you sort of expect, right? Like Utah was the best rushing team. Washington was by far the worst rushing team. Um, Colorado was the worst passing team. Um, the worst run defense in the conference was Stanford. 
Um, you know, they were really bad last year. And that's something that it, I mean, again, like it's, it's like that Cal problem, right? Like can that they had for a while where they couldn't really defend a or B gap, like can Stanford really plug that before next season? Um, yeah, but I mean, there's some, there's some good stuff. I mean, like you can also, if you go to sharpcollegefootball.com and look at the overall beta rank table or the, um, offensive rankings or defensive rankings, you can sort them just to look at the conference this year and, and, and look at all the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. It's, it's really a nice deep dive, uh, or, or just like a, a quick overview. I mean, like that's why the, the website's so fun is cause you can go as deeper as uh, shallow as you want and just take a look at what's going on there. All right, let's, let's go to, let's go to the Washington post mortem here. Let's get this out of the way. Um, so we were, we've been trying to keep things fairly positive, and sometimes it's hard. <laughs> we can talk about Stanford and Colorado. It makes it a little difficult. Um, you know, Washington ends the year four and eight, three and six in the Pac-12. Um, just a disaster on offense. The defense was was good. Um, we will definitely get into the advanced metrics, but I, I, you know, I went back and took a look just at like individual stats. Um, Dylan Morris, fourteen touchdowns, twelve interceptions, which is brutal. And I think sometimes people were really excited about, I mean, he, it was interesting watching him play because he could gun it. Like there were games where he'd have 350 yards, but there would be two picks in there. And um, sometimes he'd hit the big pass and sometimes he'd whiff. Um, and then they just were not helped out by rushing. I mean, the, their top runner, Rob, Sean McGrew, 3.9 yards a carry, 434 Brutal. yards on the year, 110 attempts. So it wasn't like he wasn't getting the ball. You know, Cameron Davis, Kamari Pleasant, Richard Newton. These are names that we were really excited about coming into the year. Um, 300 yards, 138 yards for Newton. And, um, you know, Pleasant was interesting because he kind of came on at the end and um, ended up with 5.4 yards per carry. But if I recall, I have to double check, but it seemed like he wasn't really on the field for like the first half of the year and ended up being like the most productive running back on the team. And and this is over the course of 57 carries. So it's not like in sparse, you know, handoffs that he was getting, but just could not run the ball. Could not, I mean, could pass the ball, but it was kind of a disaster. Um, you know, their top receiver was Jalen McMillan with 470 yards. They didn't have a wide receiver or a tight end that went over 500 yards receiving on the year. Like, oh my God, they have Cade Otten out there. And that guy brought in 250 yards and a touchdown. I know there was injury issues and stuff, but it's just like, oh, you know, you just take a look at the numbers in general and you have a big sigh. Um, I mean, obviously we're really excited about the, the, the new coaching staff. We think. Uh, right. you know, what, what direction do you want to take it here? I mean, I, I think, you know, we, you, I, I don't think you can talk about the Washington collapse on offense without talking about the offensive line problems because it didn't really matter who the running back was so much. They really struggled to run the football. And I think for what you can joke around about the run the damn ball hat, all you want, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But I think for what they wanted to be offensively, for them to struggle as much as they did running the football was a real problem. And so they, they created out of one Oh nine an effective Russian beta rank. They were only at 57 and effective pass. I mean, that's still a horrendous power five passing offense. Now, um, now just, I'm curious, was that, does the model take in interceptions and dock for that? Or was it just, they didn't get the yards in a lot of games? Um, so it, what it counts for is basically, it says like, how did you produce, how did you, how did you put up the scores that you did by rushing or passing? 
um, and tries to account for and allocate credit among like how the amongst the beta rank score that's assigned on like all right like how how should we divvy up this overall offensive score should we how much should we assign to passing and how much should we assign to rushing um so like the the turnovers hurt like the turnovers in particular would show up in something like negative drives where they finished at 112 <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah. that is for three and outs and turnovers you know and then yeah i mean in the but there's no like on the passing, you don't get docked more for interceptions any more than I would like try to figure out like for rushing like fumbles or something like that. What they really did struggle with too is big plays. I mean, 110 and explosive drives. I mean, this offense never got untracked, right? Like too many three and outs, too many turnovers, no big plays. I mean, <laughs> that's not a very fun offense to watch, but <laughs> like they just, it is interesting. Like, I mean, I, I think there's real, I mean, uh, we should flip it, you know. And, and, yeah, you yeah, know, to, to talk about the positive. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, DeBoer and his offensive coordinator, Gibbs, are a lot better than John Donovan, right? Yeah. They're bringing in Penix, who's a really good, and I mean, like, injuries, you know, if he's healthy, he's a really good QB, and he knows the system already, right? Um, so I don't think if you're... I don't think if you're a Washington fan, you should look at things as we talk about last year's offense and look at it with much more than like, yep, we're not doing that again. <laughs> but, you know, like the the real trouble for me as we look net for next year and amongst all the positives, and I expect this, I expect this offense to be better than the, what they were, is that they retain the offensive line coach. Who's kind of been a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and that, that I thought was odd, but I think with DeBoer, you know, the coaching and what they're going to run, they're going to get a lot more out of this offense. Um, I think it's an open question how much more they're going to get out of running the football. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I do expect them to be better. How much better I think is a really important question, right? Like, are they going to get into like, you know, and be one of the top 20 rushing teams in college football? Um, you know, are they going to, you know, really still struggle to run the football and be somewhere around the 60s? I don't expect them to be like, you know, over 100 again. But, you know, the, the problems are really there. I'm fascinated to see how, like, because I, I think DeBoer immediately comes in and right, like, where would you say their offense was like 80, like 700? 93. 93. 93 overall. Yeah. Like if you were to, if you were to bet right now, where do you, like what group of 10 would you put it in like 50? I think they're better. I, I think the talent is still, even with some of the losses that they have, I think the talent's still better than that. Right. I mean, I think with DeBoer coming in, I think you're talking, I think they have a shot to finish. I'll put it this way. I think they have a shot to finish somewhere between 40 and 25. And that's in the, a 15 range. That would be awesome. You know, if, if like they were able to do that, like that's a bowl game. They still have some staff on defense. My my thing, the thing that worries me is that the staff that he's put together has a has a has a strong like doing it the right way feel to it, which you know like yeah. it's it's good for a long like if you're building a program for the long term, that's great. But I also think a school like Washington needs a little bit of a, a, they need someone with their hand in the mud, you know, <laughs> like I think they need a, one or two of those guys. And like you mentioned, keeping the offensive line coach is, is a choice. 
uh, but that was made. But I still think yeah. I still think that they're going to have some talent there to be able to move the football. And then like and and remind, who's their who's the defensive coordinator? Is it just they they brought him over from Fresno State? Uh, yeah, they did, and he's you know he had a pretty good group of five defense last season. Okay, um, that's it. That's interesting to me because you, you like if there's one thing that I would trust Lake on, it would be you know like kind of figuring out talented secondary players. So I know that there's some yeah. players that are going to the NFL. I do think that there's going to be some decent players waiting in the wings on that front. My worry is actually the front seven because and that's valid. Yeah. That's I think that's going to be a problem next year. So ZTF's coming back. That's good. Um, that's awesome. That's good news, right? <clears throat> but the, that their problem was I mean that Washington that the you know of course they're going to run something different than they've been running. And that's good and bad because they had some really good years under the prior system too. Um, but last season, they only finished at 25 in beta rank. Their real struggle was they were at 75 in drive efficiency and only at 43 in negative drives. And that was because you could run all over them. They were at 67 in effective rush. And that problem was is Washington sort of ran something that was almost really like a two-man front. Um, and you got to have some guys that can really eat up blocks in there. And they didn't have them. Um, and so I expect they're going to have a different approach, right? Like they are going to be in there, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, I don't expect like, I mean, what was it two years ago, Washington ran something like 70% of their snaps in dime. Like, I don't think they're going to be <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, this coming year. Um, cause I think they're going to have to be heavier in the front seven with bodies, you know, <clears throat> you know, along the surface of the line to, to, to really, try to 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 fill some gaps in a way that they weren't able to last season um and i don't i mean i thought lake and the defensive staff were really stubborn you know i mean it was one thing when they didn't make adjustments when michigan just mauled them up the middle um it was another thing when nearly everyone in the pac 12 was doing it to them too i mean like arizona ran the ball on washington well and they didn't make adjustments um you know, I think Inge, you know, I think they're going to make some, you know, it's just, it is tough because like, this is the defense is what this Washington team was built on, <laughs> you know, the under Peterson. I mean, the offense under Smith was pretty darn good, but you know, like what sustained Washington was, was really the defense. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're trading that out, you know, like you're, they're expecting to have the offense carry a lot more of the weight under DeBoer, um, which is good. Like, I mean, the offense was a real problem, but, um, you know, at the same time, like you're, you're entering uncharted waters, you know, I mean, you sort of injured them last year. I mean, the defense was, was only okay. Um, but you're right. I mean, like it's going to be, a, it's going to be a very, I've, I'm absolutely fascinated to see like how many guys have their hand in the dirt for Washington next year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes it was two. Like, you know, but, but they were able to get away with that when they had, uh, uh, Vita Vea there and, uh, you know, John Gaines. Yeah. 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 Greg Gaines. And yeah. Yeah. I can't, it's more difficult when you, when you don't have that. I think a lot of the big guys that they had brought in and they, and they came in with a lot of pedigree 
just haven't really panned out. They haven't been the players that I think Washington either wanted them to be, or there was a failure to develop them. The one thing, like if you're looking on the positive side, it is very possible this coming year that you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? You get an injection of creativity on offense and you still have a decent number of players there. And even if the offensive line is bad, it's still like, you're still going to be more productive. You kind of have to be more productive than you were last year um, under a coach that's really proven himself. And then you still have the talent from, or like, you know, a, a decent amount of talent coming back from a defense yeah. that wasn't terrible. Um, it's actually pretty right. good. And, um, and like, and then, and then it's going to be on the coaching staff to bring in the players. So I think like the recruiting class, not necessarily this year, although like I'm kind of bummed that Washington really hasn't been as uh, aggressive in the portal and bringing players in or just, you know, uh, getting, talented players to, to just to come to Washington in general, keep an eye on that next year, because even if Washington is good this coming year, it's possible that there's that there's, they just won't have the horses. If this um, staff doesn't have the, the recruiting chops and it, and I think that's, that's an area where we're a little bit hesitant, but wh- where did the, yeah. where, where did the defense end up in beta rank? Like what, what was the breakdown of their, cause I think it was pretty they good. Were 25 in beta rank. Um, they were at 67 and effective rush. They were at six and effective pass still and, and, yeah. and defensive those metrics for de- So at offense, like, um, you'll sometimes see like, uh, I'm not trying to like pick on anybody, but like for SP plus, like he'll do like offensive efficiency type numbers and it'll be like, Oh, Navy's the most efficient passing team in the country. And you're like, yeah, because they throw the ball like two times a game. <laughs> like they're, set, they're setting you up, right? Like offense has choice and agency, therefore measuring it at the margin doesn't make sense. Um, for defense, it does. And so like, I, I'm not do- like, like almost no one within their right mind threw the ball a lot against Washington <laughs> last season. Um, but when they did, they really did struggle with it. Still Washington, of course, absolutely got run all over though. And they were, you know, one of the worst run defenses in the power five. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like there's, yeah, you, you hit on, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question for this Washington team, right? Like where do they find, where do they find guys that can get in there, you know, and really, you know, fill some gaps. And I think too, I mean, and, and you hit on it a little bit, like I like Shepard, the wide receiver coach they brought in from Purdue. Um, he's done some really good development. He's not really known as like an ACE recruiter, too, if you look at the difference between like the staff that Oregon put together and the staff that Washington put together, Washington doesn't have any ace recruiters on it. Like Jimmy Lake was that really for well, he was supposed know, to be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he wasn't when he was necessarily head coach, but he was a real good recruiter, you know, when he was, you know, when he was the DB's coach, they don't have, I mean, Oregon brought freaking Tosh Lapoy back, you know, like into college football. Like that guy, that guy's a nuclear weapon in recruiting. Like USC retained Dante Williams and brought in some other heavies that had been on, you know, Lincoln Riley staff, you know, uh, at, at, at Oklahoma. I just, uh, like, I think that there's some competence, right? Like there's some basic competence that I think you will see that will do better. I think what I worry about though, in the long run is that like, I think Lanning gets it. Lincoln Riley certainly gets it, what it takes to get to 
the top level of college football. Um, I'm not sure if you look at this staff that DeBoer, you know, tried to put together a staff. Like, I mean, I think there are guys that he's really comfortable with and, and knows, and I like, I think know what he wants to execute and, um, but they don't strike me as a staff and, and we'll see that's going to go out there and like, you know, be able to go toe to toe in Southern California high schools with that Oregon staff, you know, or that, you know, or that USC staff, uh, you know, and it's not just Southern California. I mean, you know, the Utah Polynesian community, the islands, you know, like this, this staff, they don't seem to have like, I don't know. They don't seem to have those kind of heavies on there. And really too, like if you go through their, it doesn't like, I got to go through their staff directory again, but like, there's nobody that jumps out to you. There is like anybody that has, is going to have a really strong connection to the Polynesian community, which has been really good for Washington. Over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's been a big deal for them. And I like the one thing is like, I think there's, there should be a culture, right? Like I think that just the culture should be healthier. There's going to be an offensive identity. I really do trust DeBoer yeah. on the. Well, yeah. Um, and this is somebody that has run a program before. Now it's smaller, less resources, et cetera, et cetera. But he does have the coaching experience at two different levels of football now. And yeah. that's a skill in itself just to be able to be successful and bring on good people and, and be able to develop a team that really responds to players. So that I think that all is going to be excellent. It's more, yeah. um, and I think that's going to raise the floor of Washington to like, you know, seven to eight, seven to nine wins, seven to 10 wins. It's just, um, you know, we'll have to keep a look at, are they able, like I, they're, like everybody was kind of looking to um, the Iowa state coach, uh, Matt Campbell as you know, yeah. and Washington offered Matt Campbell. It's possible that DeBoer ends up developing something like Matt Campbell where they're bringing in three to four star guys and they're just developing them and they're building a system. And that is what they're going to operate on. And it's going to be really tough to beat, but you can beat them if you're, if you just have better players. Let's, let's take a look and see if they're able to add a couple big time players to, um, to kind of raise them to that next level. Cause it'd be awesome. Like if Washington was operating like they were under Chris Peterson, but just better, like a Chris Peterson 2.0, which is really hard to, to you know, it's really difficult to get there. But if they did, um, it's a, I, I do think, I do think Seattle and that whole fan base, I think that's a place where you could do that and, and you can really hit a level of success. And, but like we talked about this last week, keeping that coach coaching staff once you hit there is going to be difficult but i do think it's a, a fan base and i think there's some resources there. there's a lot of money in seattle um and yeah. that stadium's awesome like people want that program to be good well i mean I, uh, look there's some good player i mean like you know uh i want to say it's like bishop o i mean o'day high school could be bishop o'day i don't know anyway. i clearly i cover recruiting ins and outs <laughs> <laughs> but you know like they produce some really good players um, you know, like uh, including, you know, I think one of the top recruit, you know, rated recruits for this cycle, but you know, like Ohio state's coming in hard for a lot of those kids, right? Yeah. Like they're not, um, you know, if you're, if you're Washington, you can't assume those kids are, you know, going to show up and, and, and play for you. I mean, Savelle Smalls, you know, went to Alabama originally, you ended up, you did end up with him. Right. Um, but I think that there's like a, I mean, you know, if there's a five-star player, in, you know, in the state of Washington, you're, you're going to have to fend off and you're going to have to have somebody that can fend off. 
off, you know, the top college football programs in the country. I mean, and not just West Coast ones, like we just said. Like, I mean, Alabama will come knocking, you know, so will Ohio State, you know, like they're they're not gonna um they're not gonna be intimidated to go up there because I think college football, at least recruiting wise, has become more national for the very top programs. And so I look, I mean, it's not like I, I do think from a pure competence standpoint, like there's some, there's a lot to like. I mean, yeah. I think Jamarcus Shepard's going to be an upgrade at wide receiver coach for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right? I think, <laughs> I think Ryan Grubb and DeBoer running that offense is going to be an upgrade for sure. I think Michael Penix is going to be a f- huge upgrade over the quarterback play we saw last year, you know, and I don't mean that as like a huge knock on Sam Heward who may still pan out, but like, you should fully expect him not to beat out Penix. Like Penix is a really experienced QB, you know, and look, I mean, there's, like I said, like there's, there's, there's some good players talent, you know, here already. I'm interested to see how long Huff survives you know, uh, on this, on this staff, if the offensive line issues aren't sort of corrected and fixed, but I mean, they've got like, we, we talked about, like they've got their work cut out for them a little bit. Right. Because like the guys that he went out um, and brought, you know, that he sort of filled in the staff with other than, you know, like Shepard or, you know, or guys that were on his Fresno state staff were like Nick Sheridan, right. Who just got fired as the offensive coordinator in Indiana. Um, you know, who's look, I mean, is, is, is friends with Tabor, um, you know, and maybe a really good position coach, but not a guy that's got a great reputation as a recruiter or has West coast recruiting ties, you know, played at Michigan coached in Indiana. Um, you know, like, the, the, like I said, like, these are all guys that Tabor is comfortable with and knows, uh, you know, and like, that's important. Um, but I, I am really interested to see, because like, when you look at the staff that Lanning put together, you look at the staff that Riley put together, like those staffs are, those staffs are uh, like, those guys know what they got to do to go bang out against, you know, the sec to get in the playoff. And I'm not saying DeBoer doesn't know that. I mean, he had to go toe to toe with Ohio state in 2019. (laughs) He knows what a juggernaut looks like. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I want to see like, I think this, I mean, this Washington team, if you're a Washington fan, what you will see on the field will be a lot better. I think they're going to get a lot out of what they get. They got, um, and that should be enough. I think still, I mean, even if Washington's not going toe to toe and knocking it out against Oregon all the time, like Washington's still going to make the conference title game, you know, once every four years or something like that. And like, as a Washington fan, I may just have like burst your bubble, but like, if you want to make it more than that, you're going to have to recruit better. But I think the competence is there and they're still going to recruit well enough to reach that level. And, and moving from, an incompetent staff to a competent staff. It's the best. It's just the best, you know? So like, you know, take, take the next two years and enjoy the fact that like, you know, your coach isn't slapping players in the head. I mean, he had his helmet, he had his helmet on, you know, like I I actually, there, there was other things that I thought that Lake was, but you know, like, I think they wanted it out. I think that it was clearly not working and they were like, Oh, like, thank you. Thank you for playing. This is our, Right. Like, gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But like, you know, moving from a a staff that like just had so, so many issues. Like, I think next year, if you're a Washington fan, you're just going to enjoy it. 
and like take it for what it is and then just keep an eye on on the future and and just seeing if you're able to pull anything and i i hate like and we try not to be a recruiting podcast and a podcast that hits recruiting so hard because it is fun to have a staff that just brings in talent and develops talent like that is amazing and i I, like that i think that's the best part of college football it's just more if like if you're looking to make the playoff and that's a bummer because that it, more and more that's seeping into the the whatever narratives there are about college football. It's like, can they make the playoff? Can they make the playoff? Right. Unfortunately, we haven't had to talk about that in the last couple of years. Um, we thought we after after like you you and I were like sitting in a car like getting back from the you know the Ohio State game. And we're like, we're gonna have to cover a playoff race, and then and then we didn't. Nope. <laughs> so you know, like, I and I and I hate when when. There are because there are shows that all they do is focus on recruiting. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's it. Like, I don't I think it's not I don't find it interesting at all. Um, but I know it's important if you're trying it's, to get to the next level. I, I so here's the like because I think people get it wrong because I think we've ended up in this asinine like uh, stars or stars are nothing or stars are destiny. And the truth is, of course, somewhere in between, right? Yeah. Like, um, like you can absolutely like. You absolutely can field a really good, really competitive football team out of, you know, not the greatest recruits in college football. That is true. It is also true that as you get out of like the top four and five star players, that the evaluations start getting more shaky because those guys have a lot fewer hours of evaluation time on them, right? Like there's a reason I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, there, there are three stars that absolutely pan out and are really good. There are also guys that are going to be really good in your offense <laughs> that may not ever go to the NFL and that's fine. <laughs> you know, like as, as somebody that really cares about college football, that is perfectly fine and acceptable, right? Like the NFL is not the end all be all. Um, but I do say like, the flip side of it is, is like, if you think, and one, this is maybe the difference from like 2017 going forward. If you think that Nick Saban is just like rolling out, because this is what ticks me off is when people are like, oh yeah, like they just have the best players. I'm like, if you think Nick Saban just has the best players and isn't developing them and isn't putting the best coordinators that he can put together with them, you're crazy. Nick Saban does a better job of development than you do. Right. Like Nick Saban gets more out of his five stars than you get out of your four stars or three stars. So don't like <laughs> you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there with just that. Right. Like you can be really good and it's not destiny. Like Texas exists. USC, <laughs> USC, for, the last, yeah. USC for the last decade exists. Right. Like you could be God awful with great players. But it's like I was thinking about this when we're like because I think people are. I think there is a, like a fair critique, if you will, of like Kyle Whittingham. Like I think he's, he's Whittingham is an amazing coach, and his he and his staff do a terrific job developing players. But I gotta say, at this point, with the amount of success that Utah has had, I think they punch way under their weight in recruiting. I think that like you, this Utah yeah. team should should be a lot like, and I think it's a like I don't think Whittingham cares. I don't think he is invested in hiring recruiters, but I also think it puts a ceiling on his program, right? Um, that he's done that. I mean, I think, I don't know, like right now you could argue Utah does nearly as good a job as anyone in developing players in college football, given where they're at. 
should they still be doing? I mean, yeah, like, no, they, yeah, I, and we thought, and like, yeah, we thought that they'd that, make the leap, right? Like a few years ago, we're like, all right, they're in, and we kind of looked, and they they brought in a few players, and you're like, right, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, no, I mean, they're still like we're still at the point where like, and I and I like listen, this is I mean this out of love, like I mean I went like before I realized what I was doing, and I was like in a twenty tweet argument with someone on Twitter who's like, actually Kyle Whittingham's average. And I was like, well, that's bonkers. Yeah. Like he's, be- he's far better than that. Right. Um, but I think that the one fair knock at this point of where, cause we're far past the point of like, Oh, he had to take a roster from the group of five to the power five. That was years ago. That was like 10 years ago. Point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the fair knock at this point is that Utah's, barely recruiting at a top 25 level. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Utah itself is, rec- is producing far more really good college football players. Right. Uh, and recruits Arizona, a neighboring state that has a, again, a large LDS population is also producing a lot of really good football recruits. Um, you know, Utah should have tremendous ends in the Polynesian community all over the West. And I'd like to tell you, like, I think they do a terrific job developing players hundred percent. Man, like if they actually recruited and then developed to the level that they're doing, what would Utah be? And that I think is that is a totally fair critique. That's where like I think with like this this like like you know Washington, if they turn into Utah, great. Like that's yeah, still oh, yeah, like a yeah. like I mean that kind of consistency and tenacity, you know, um, like that is not a like being Utah is not a bad thing to be. But here's the thing. I think Washington fans would get sick of that after four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love it because I, a Washington team that goes to the Rose Bowl and trades blows with like a Penn State or an Ohio State, like, oh, I would love, I would love, I mean, I would love for that to be the floor for that program. But yeah, you're right. I think, I think after a while, the, the fan base would kind of be like, all right, we've won yeah, a I mean, title Utah here before. Utah fans are like <laughs> on board. They're like, this is the greatest. I mean, part of it too is like Utah's been able to do this basically like while USC's out to lunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and Oregon's been a little bit dysfunctional, you know, and like kind of had some of their own problems and Washington, like has been mostly good, but not great, you know? So like Utah has been able to make this right. Utah fans are like, please just punch, right? Like could not be happier about where they're at. Um, I think Washington's fans expectations, like if they piled up a bunch of nine win seasons being really competent, maybe, you know, one year out of four, you know, if Oregon really got going, you know, or, you know, you know, they're not really being a dominant, like not maybe being the dominant team in the North. If Oregon really got going, I think Washington fans would get real tired of that. Or if USC really got going and Washington, even if they were going to the Pac-12 championship team game half the time, we're never getting past that. I think Washington fans' expectations are, are high enough that that would be kind of frustrating. Yeah, they've tasted the sweet, sweet elixir of a playoff yeah. before. So, you know, like... Well, and there's also enough of them, and I feel like I maybe know more of these folks, maybe too many of these folks that were, like, around when, like, Washington, like, won the national... Th- I mean, this yeah. is, like, the time before time. Like, I mean... I think I was like nine years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Washington won a national title. Um, you know, and so like their, their feelings really are, um, you know, that Washington can be amongst the very best programs in college football regularly. I don't know that that's necessarily realistic, um, but 
you know, like, I, you know, I, 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 you know, shoot for the stars, have your expectations. I think you'll have more fun if you're, you know, aim them a little lower, but Hey, you know, do it. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I think there's enough Washington fans that like, I don't think that a Utah like the level that Utah is at regularly. I don't think Washington fans, I mean, cause in the end, like, I think they were getting a little frustrated with Peterson a little bit too. Mm. Um, as much as they really respected him. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think w- when that happened, people are like, okay, like, you know, time for a change. And, you know, uh, uh, even though as surprising as it was, I think that, w- and that's how I would have, you know, like as an optimistic fan would have taken it. All right. Like, you know, it looks like we were in good hands with Lake and maybe he can be more aggressive in recruiting and all that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, we all know how that turned out, but, uh, we'll keep an eye. We'll, we'll keep an eye and keep rooting for it. We, by the way, Washington fans, we picked Washington before Oregon for this show, right? We want to like, want to, want to be able like, and the problem is we always lump the two teams together because a, they're rivals, but like, it, I think that the, um, the potential in the North for both teams is like interesting. And, um, you know, and one, one team went one way and the other went a different way. And, uh, um, so I'm, I'm just excited to see, um, a different approach than Oregon. Oregon's going all recruiting and, and like in developing, I'm sure the development will happen as well. And, um, for now, Washington's going development and we'll see what happens. Um, I, mean, I think landing's your play caller. We'll cover this with Oregon, but yeah. like, I, I feel good about where the defense will be. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That'll be nasty right. defense. All right. Well, Hey, let's, let's leave it there. We just hit the hour mark. Um, anything else you want to cover, Rob? Anything you got cooking? No, this is fun. Uh, I mean, look, I'm going to try to do a show once chip cat, like hopefully after signing day, we get some of the coordinator moves announced. And I mean, I mean, I guess if like Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL, we'll find that out. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to try to let you all know, like I'll put together a show evaluating, some of the most impactful coordinator moves for next season. Nice. Um, and there'll be some, pa- there'll be some pack 12 coverage in there, of course, too. Yeah. And like, we were on top of it, John Donovan, right? Like when, when he got hired yeah. by Washington, like I remember writing an article just using beta rank, you know, uh, and I even used some S and P plus stuff and just been like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> same thing with, yeah. uh, same thing with, uh, uh, the defensive coordinator for, USC. It's like, oh man, that, this guy was awesome at Utah State, and then uh, so yeah. <laughs> so there's some really cool stuff to glean from from this stuff. So yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that stuff. All right, well, stay tuned. We will. Uh, who we want to do Oregon next week? Well, let, we group them together too much. Let's do a different team than Oregon. It's kind of hard though, right? Because USC, UCLA, we still don't know. We still don't know the core. Have we done AS? I mean, we they've got it. They don't have an offensive coordinator now. <laughs> So oh <laughs> we've done Colorado and we done Utah. No, I mean, let's, do let's do Utah. That'll be fun. Especially since we talked okay. a, little bit, a little bit here. Um, yeah. Cool. All right, you fans get ready for next week. Thanks for tuning in and we will catch you soon.